Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sixth and Seventh in Past Christiane, showcasing various types of art by 100 jurored artists, plus children's marine education activities, fishing, rodeo, and schooner rides. More at artinthepast.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, March 25th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll get the latest as legislators hammer out the final details of a human trafficking bill. Then, a Mississippi imam reacts to violence against Muslims on the other side of the world. And after everyday tech, why a recent report says Mississippi may not be a safe place to be a baby. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi lawmakers are meeting in conference to fine-tune a bill that revises penalties for human trafficking. Senate Bill 2305 increases the penalties for anyone caught trafficking a minor for labor or sex. The bill calls for 20 years to life in prison with a fine of up to $500,000. Republican Senator Michael Watson of Hurley worked on the bill, and he says it also prevents prosecuting minors so they'll come forward. Some of them are were really you know, unwilling to come forward because they were being prosecuted or for prostitution or what have you. So they were coming out with a criminal record by reporting a crime. And so that's one of the things that we heard from a lot of the victims, that it was important to make sure that we didn't label them as a criminal. Sandy Middleton is with the Mississippi Center for Violence Protection, an organization that works with the victims of uh, pre- uh, prevention, rather, an organization that works with the victims of domestic violence and human trafficking. Middleton says another bill, House Bill 571, offers protection to the victims of human trafficking. She talks with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. The bill will protect all minors from being prosecuted for prostitution. So at our former language before they had it had to be proven that they were a victim of trafficking in order for them to be immune from prosecution but house bill 571 grants immunity to all minors who may be charged with prostitution and we are absolutely in favor of that we believe that minor girls and boys are victims in these crimes and that it is certainly no answer to criminalize them for behavior perpetrated against them there's concern among legislators that there are teens who are, traf- who are trafficking their peers. This could be a loophole. Do you think it should be administered by Department of Public Safety? We've seen cases where multiple teens were involved in trafficking, but they all also had an adult who was benefiting from the exploitation. So I've never seen in my staff and and the law enforcement personnel that we worked with, we've never seen a case like that. And we know for a fact that we have a multitude of minors who deserve our protection. What would you like to see in the bill that isn't? 
there's really nothing that we didn't get that we asked for in this bill. And, and you have to understand House Bill 571 is good policy. Now it's going to be uh, on uh, DHS and CPS and the Department of Public Safety to set good procedure and practices from the policy. So uh, as we know, passing good legislation is the first step in in stopping a problem. The agencies, victim services, law enforcement, all the agencies that are responsible for, for the care of victims, everybody's going to have to step up and make sure that we follow the policy that's been set. And I can tell you that uh, the Center for Violence Prevention has three is working with three operational task forces across the state. And at this present time, there's about 30 open cases, and there are eight minor victims that are involved in those cases. So that's just as of right now. That's Sandy Middleton with the Mississippi Center for Violence Prevention. Senate Bill 2305 is in conference being negotiated by legislators. House Bill 571 is on Governor Phil Bryant's desk awaiting his signature or veto. Do you have questions or comments about what's going on in the state legislature? You can sound off on this week's episode of At Issue on Think Radio. That's coming up next at 9 o'clock. Coming up, a Mississippi imam reacts to violence against Muslims on the other side of the world. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Donating your change to MPB just got better. Visit mpbonline.org slash support. Change donors are now change sustainers with instant benefits like passport streaming video and home delivery of our fine-tuning program. If you'd like to give a set amount every day, now you can. Donations are charged directly to your card, which means you can earn points and a tax deduction. Visit mpbonline.org slash support and become an MPB change sustainer today. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mourners from two mosques have begun burying their dead. It's been over a week since a shooter killed 50 people in Christchurch, New Zealand. At the Masjid Muhammad Mosque in Jackson, security measures have long been in place to protect worshipers. Amin Abdul Rashid is Iman at the mosque. Although they are concerned about their safety, he says God is the best form of protection. Abdul Rashid spoke with our Jasmine Ellis. Everyone has the right to live regardless of what your religious preference is. And everyone should have the right to practice their religion. And if you pose a threat to someone else, I can understand the concerns of the public uh, about their own safety. But these people pose no threat to anyone. They were in worship, and they were not armed. And it was a typical Friday for them. Uh, it's a special day. We all gather at the masjid for a Friday service. It's called Jumu'ah Salah. And they were gathered there, and they were just doing what they do, worshiping their Lord. Are you concerned with your safety here at the mosque, given what's happened in Christchurch, New Zealand? Well, growing up an African-American, I've always been concerned for my safety in America. But God is the best to protect we have certain measures in place, like you entered our grounds, and it's a, a secured gate. 
uh, coded. So that's one of the deterrents, but we do have security here, especially on that day of service. But this, because this is not the first attack, there have been other attacks. So these measures have been put in place to try to ensure us that we'll, we'll be safe, but God is the best to protect. In regards to the people who died at, uh, in Christ Church, New Zealand, they died peacefully in uh, service to their Lord, and so they are considered martyrs. And in Islam, death is not the worst thing. Our perception about death is different because we have to think about it all the time. We have verses and chapters in the Quran that remind us about death, but that one comes to mind that oppression is worse than death. So death is not the worst thing for a Muslim. Oppression is. How have you, because you're the imam here, how have you and your congregation been coping, I guess, since the attacks in Christchurch, New Zealand? Have you all been talking about it and are having conversations surrounding it? Well, yes. The board met, and at the end of our Friday worship service, you know, I reminded the people to be, um, be mindful of themselves, pay attention to your environment, but we've already had measures because these incidents have happened before. We already had safety measures in place, and we've had discussions before. We're not going to uh, go to any extreme measures because we're not going to live in fear. What do you think might help to stop these attacks that are that are going on? I can't rightly say, but I will say this. Leaders set the tones for their societies. When a leader says something... It has an impact on the people who follow that leader. I've watched the society change. I've watched racism and bigotry rise its ugly head up in this society from leadership that seems to be unconscious of the power of what they say. Being an African-American man who is also Muslim in America, have you had to deal with people treating you differently because of that? Since my young days, uh, in my 20s when I converted, you decide what you're going to be fearful about, and that's you should have no fear because the same one who created us is the best one to protect us. What would you like people to know about your faith that they might not know? That we are not indifferent to what most of them believe. If they are Christians, we have a high regard for Jesus. In our theology, in our Quran, we don't take the position that he is the son of God. We take the position that he is a righteous servant of God and that he obeyed God. And he, his religion is the same as ours. And that the religion of Abraham, Isaac, Moses, all of them were the same religion. Our religion, what Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, brought was if the house represents the religion's of God, then Islam is the last brick. Prophet Muhammad was the seal of all the prophets. So this was just the last stone or the last brick being put in place. But the house is consistent and has the same design, and we are part of that design. have no other different desires. We want to have good families, live in good communities, have a nice job, nice businesses, nice professions, nice homes. We want the same thing that everybody else wants. So I don't see how we're a threat. We are your neighbors. We're your teachers. We teach your children. We are physicians. We wait on you when you're ill or sick. We are the nurses. We're just 
people who want the same thing that you want. It's just that your theology or your religious outlook is somewhat different from ours. But essentially they're the same. We believe in God, first of all. One God. Imam Amin Abdur Rashid at Masjid Muhammad in Jackson. Thank you so much for speaking with us. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure, Jasmine. Thank you for inviting me to this interview. Coming up, why a recent report says Mississippi may not be a safe place to be a baby. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The story of Mississippi's own Marty Stewart is one of the many tales that can be found in Ken Burns' newest documentary, Country Music. Before its premiere later this year, you are invited to a special preview screening in Philadelphia with Marty himself. Join us at the Ellis Theater on March 28th for this special preview screening ahead of the premiere of Country Music on MPB-TV. For more information about the preview screening, visit Ardenland.net. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Couture, and today we're discussing assistive and adaptive technology. So, Wilts, what is adaptive technology? Well, Michelle, adaptive technology, it, it refers to special versions of already existing technology or different tools that we have out there that can provide enhancements or a different way for people to interact with that technology. Some of those examples may be more low-tech, like a you know large print books or digitized text, even just improvements in lighting, things to make it a little bit easier for everyone. And it can even go so far as to be things such as predictive text that we've seen in some of our phones, as well as adjustable desks. For example, quite a few folks that I work with use the standing desk options now and keyboard modifications and things to make things more ergonomically accessible. Why is adaptive technology so important? Adaptive technology has really become important as we see technology growing within our society. This is particularly seen in its ability to promote a greater independence by anyone and everyone trying to use this. So maybe you're getting a little bit older and your eyesight's not quite what it used to be, or maybe you attended a few too many concerts as a young child and maybe your hearing has slipped out a little bit. Or it could even be something as simple as to allow a younger child to be able to interact with these different items. There's so many different ways that technology can be customized to you. It doesn't have to be just for the masses per se, but it can be more so it's a tool for you personally to use. So being able to adapt it to what you need versus what someone else might need is really what makes it go from being technology to being personal tech. Is adaptive technology the same as assistive technology? Well, we can see a little bit of blending of the two um, depending on kind of your perspective over a particular technology or device. But generally speaking, assistive technology is more of a specialized device for something. One way we make a think of assistive technology would be things such as hearing aids, a technology that goes into that, or even wheelchairs or prosthetic devices and things that are specifically developed to allow someone with that specific need to be able to interact a little bit more with the community around them. Um, But where you can also see the blending is we'll actually see text-enabled telephones and you'll see Braille devices that can actually take those emails or even websites and allow them to come back and be seen with someone that may be vision impaired. Um, We're also seeing a lot of devices that are being specifically developed 
to help children and adults with different disabilities such as autism, Down syndrome, just to allow people to, again, engage with and be a part of everything going on around them and tend to what their specific needs are. So, Wilts, what are some areas where adaptive and assistive technology can make the most impact? Well, we see this coming in not just in the home, but we also see this within the workplace as well as at school. So it really kind of runs the full range of locations that we could be at. And what we're seeing is this having the ability to help those of us with differing disabilities perform tasks with a much greater ease and much more independence and tears down so many of the barriers that would otherwise potentially stand in their way of being able to achieve what their goals are. And it's not just those with disabilities, but it could just be those with different abilities. So, Michelle, throughout the years, we've really seen where technology has really stepped in and stepped up to help enhance all of our lives and really improve independence for everyone. You know, if you if you really want to think back, think back to a past president we had, FDR. Many may also recall that he had polio, which would have made driving and some other daily tasks a little bit more difficult. Even back in the early 1900s, they were adapting the car to allow him to do a little bit more control when it came to hand controls. And so we're really seeing technology step in and make a difference. It's not just about checking your email and looking at your social media feeds. Today, technology can make such an impact on everyone around us, no matter their needs. And it can help us to obtain that independence we all desire, as well as reach our goals successfully. We will talk more about assistive and adaptive technology on the next Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Normally, I don't recommend eavesdropping, but feel free to join in on my conversations. Our guests this week are Ann Fisher-Worth and Amalda Schuyler-Clay. I just love the photo so much, and I would kind of look at them and listen. I knew if I loved a photo, I wanted to find a voice that would tell a story so that I could use the photo. Now I can't, of course, look at any of my yeah. photographs that are in this book without thinking about the poem that goes along with them. Sundays at 5.30 and Thursdays at 10 on MPB Television. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi has one of the highest rates of single-parent households in the nation. Add that to the country's highest infant mortality rate, and Mississippi is a place where it can be very difficult to be a baby. Those findings and more are in the 2019 State of Babies Yearbook. Myra Jones-Taylor is with the organization Zero to Three, which publishes the annual yearbook. She tells us how Mississippi stacks up to other states and how her organization thinks we can do better. The State of Babies Yearbook is a compilation of data that's gathered across many different data sets, all that are readily available, so including the United States Census, um, other things that are available annually that we can tie directly back to infants and toddlers instead of a wider age group. It was really important that we focus on the zero to three space. And we look across 60 indicators that are grouped into three categories, which are good health, strong families, and positive early learning experiences. What's most notable about the Mississippi Yearbook? The Mississippi 
see your book is, um, I would say the most notable thing is, like many other states, is that there is room to grow for Mississippi. Um, Mississippi is in the bottom tier, so we have four tiers, um, and Mississippi ranks in the bottom tier overall. However, um, in terms of strong families and positive early learning experiences, um, Mississippi is in the third tier. So there's some what we want states to know is that there's room to grow for all states. Um, and then states that are doing not so hot in one category could actually be doing better in other categories, which is what you see in the Mississippi rankings. A couple of things that I saw in looking at this that were higher, were much higher than the national average, were, first of all, one-parent family, that that is a much higher statistic than the rest of the country. Yes, that's true. Um, so you have higher rates of uh, parents, you know, single-parent households. Um, interestingly enough, you have much higher rates of infant mortality, um, something that we really want to see changed in, in Mississippi and, and other states that have that challenge. I would also say that, you know, some areas, um, other areas for for improvement would definitely be um, in the, the space of infant uh, toddler maltreatment as well. That's something um, that you all are, are not doing so well on. Interestingly, though, if you look at family resilience, um, you're doing, you're not exactly where we'd like you to be, but you're doing a little bit better than, than a lot of states that fell into that bottom category. You guys are in the, the third tier. And there's a much higher incidence of people living in poverty in this state compared to the rest of the nation, particularly African-Americans living in poverty. Is that related to the infant mortality numbers? You know, I think it's something that we should be tracking and that we, we are definitely tracking at zero to three is the wide disparities, the racial disparities um, in outcomes for infants and toddlers. Interesting thing about infant mortality and um, maternal mortality, when you look at disparities um, in African-American communities, they, they do span um, uh, income, income brackets. So you will actually see across um, the income span that you will see um, higher rates of infant mortality and maternal mortality um, for black families. So that's something that's, that's definitely something that um, we will be writing about in a follow-up report. But having said that, um, the high rates of poverty and the connection to infant mortality are certainly something that Mississippi should be looking at. You also take a look at positive early learning experiences. The learning experiences between ages zero and three, how critical is education? This is the time of unparalleled uh, brain development. The brain develops um, faster in the ages in the span between zero to three than at any later point in life. So we know um, that all of the success that happens later in life, academic success, success in the workforce, um, the health of, of an individual is built on the foundation or lack thereof of those first three years. And so it's critical that young children have positive early learning experiences in their earliest years, um, not just, um, you know, at the age of three or five when they enter kindergarten, but starting from birth, it's really important that we are thinking about their positive early learning experiences. What's the most important takeaway from the 2019 yearbook? I would say for Mississippi that there is, you all now have a roadmap for how to improve outcomes for young children. This is the first time that any state 
including Mississippi, has a, an understanding, comprehensive look how, how babies and their families are faring. And so for Mississippi, I hope that policymakers, parents, advocates will take a deep look at this, these numbers and figure out which of these they want to tackle first. And I would say, you know, looking at these um, early learning experiences, one they certainly want to think about. Um, I would also say that making sure that young children are in families where they have the supports that they need. Um, they have cash assistance if they need it. They have housing stability if they need it. Um, but this is a great opportunity for Mississippi to take a look at how their babies are faring and really come together and create a plan to make a difference for their babies. Myra Jones-Taylor is the Chief Policy Officer for Zero to Three in the State of Babies Yearbook. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's At Issue on Think Radio. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores or subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. And join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB would like to thank Daniel, Coker, Horton, and Bell and the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance for underwriting MPB programs. Your company can be an underwriter too. Find out more. Go to mpbonline.org slash 